Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Caligaris, Vice President of Marketing and Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. And I am very thrilled to have on our show today, Wes Bush, founder and CEO of Product Led. Welcome, Wes. Thank you so much for having me, Rebecca. Oh, it is a pleasure. All right, Wes, you are going to talk about one of my favorite topics. Uh, I want to think that our listeners are absolutely going to love, which is about sort of the product-led movement, if we might call it that. So let's start with a little bit. When you say companies that are product-led, what are you meaning? Yeah, so great question. I think whenever I hear like, oh, this company's like super product-led. The first thing that pops to mind since I've been in this space since the very beginning is like they are thinking product first. They are whenever it's, whether it's their marketing team, it's their product team, it's their sales team, it's their support team, everyone on that team, they're really thinking, how could we use this product to hit our goals as an organization? So I'll give you an example. Like your marketing team could start thinking about, you know, you know, what features should we give away for free that will make our users so happy and make them share it with other folks to really drive more and more free users for our main product. Your sales team could start looking at the product data and say, you know what? Uh, that's telling us a lot of great things. Let's actually start reaching out and prioritizing uh, reaching out to the people who experience the value of the product. Because when they have that uh, aha moment, before we even reach out, they're 10 times more likely to actually become a happy paying customer. So let's prioritize them and help them. So in a product-led business, it's really uh, like the core of it is really figuring out how could we use the product as the main vehicle for acquisition, our activation, even our retention. And so um, that to me is really what I call a successful product-led business. One of the things I think is really interesting about product-led is we talk about think first about the product. And that can sound really like inside out thinking, like think first about ourselves. But when you really dig into product-led thinking, I think it is often, or, or really when it's done right, thinking about the customer and thinking about the user first. Can you talk a little bit about, about how the customer and the user is represented in that product-led organization and philosophy? Yeah, I'm so happy you mentioned that too, because it's not just about like, let's think about our product and our product will solve all our problems. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, but like, who are you building that product for? And one of the things that really keeps you honest whenever you're building a product-led business is most people will have like a free trial or a freemium model or some way you can just try before they buy. And what that really sets a tone in that particular business in is because whenever they are letting people just go through that experience, you really do have to showcase the value of your product or else the model doesn't really work. Just think about like the last application you signed up for, maybe even just like the form to sign up for it was forever. And you just decided, you know, I forget it. Like, I I don't really care that much about (laughs) this little problem I had uh, two seconds ago. So then you just like dip and never come back to that product. Whereas like the best products, they are insanely good at helping you solve a very specific problem very quickly. And so there's this whole concept and new buzzword (laughs) for the product-led audience that really just around time to value, like how quick can someone experience the value of the product and why that's so important is because at the core of this 
methodology is really you have to understand that to be good at building a product-led business, it's really about serving others, not about selling them initially, because the best way to sell, in my opinion, is really to serve them, help them out, help them see the true value of your product and help them get to that own uh, kind of like reasoning that, hey, if I want continued access to this product, I might have to pay and I'm more than happy to because it's really risk-free. I understand what this product can do for me and how it can help me because it's already done that. And that builds trust really quickly with an user or customer because they understand that you can deliver on your promise. And I think that's really um, what gets me excited is is really just about how quickly uh, can you deliver on the promise that you're promising as a business uh, and the best product-led businesses do that. But to your point, Rebecca, like you can't get there unless you really intimately understand your customer and your users' pain points um, and be able to solve them very quickly. You know, what you talk about there, you, there, there some people boil down product-led, you know, so you got a free trial and everybody converts, right? That, that at its surface may be what it looks like, but, but what you're really talking about what you, and what you really kind of dug into there is it's, it's not about, I have a free trial and it will automatically convert because it's brilliant. It's a, it's a full strategy built around showing value through your product along the way and in a way that sort of unlocks interest and acceptance with your users in a very natural way because you you, you keep delivering value and they keep following, right? So it's, it's a whole, whole lot more than just throwing up something for free and, and seeing what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I think that's one of the big misconceptions about product-led growth is it's like you just have a free trial or a freemium model and like then your business just takes off. No, I've actually seen and been inside a lot of businesses that have a free trial, for instance, and I would still call them sales-led. They treat the free trial user as, oh, there's a new lead. Let's call them like everyone else. Uh, Treat them almost just like a demo request. And the problem with that is that you're really not helping the user. (laughs) They sign up and what their expectation is nowadays with a free trial or a free model is you're going to help guide them to success in the product. And that's actually what led me to develop what I call the the bowling alley framework around product-led growth, which is really, if you think about bowling, for instance, kind of give you a different context is like, let's imagine it's your first time bowling. Uh, just like it'd be the first time signing up for a product. The first time you bowl, like you're probably, chances of getting it in if it's your very first time, you're probably going to get that bowling ball in the gutter. And the same thing happens whenever we think about your product. It's like the first time someone signs up for your product, the the most likely thing that's going to happen is they're not going to know what to do to really succeed unless you map it out for them. And that's why in bowling, they developed bumpers. So you can't actually get the ball into the gutter. And so uh, in your product, you really do have to think about that. Like, how could we manufacture user success and really help these people um, have that first time user experience where uh, they succeed, get a ton of value and really become successful. And that to me is like the biggest win of the day is we're really uh, the whole movement of being product led is really just about how can we empower these users um, to become successful on their own. Such a good point too. So, so many of our listeners are B2B uh, software providers. They provide pretty robust enterprise systems, right? And I think um, one of the things that's exciting to me about being product-led too is some of the, the best software you have has such a 
it, whether it's a learning curve or something else for you to get to value, right? Like there's, it, I, it supports so much and it can let you do so many things and it's got all these different, you know, like great things for expert users, but as a newbie, it can be hard to find the, the quick path to value because you have to go through. And if you can break that apart in your strategy to give, to help them not only to, to see that value really clearly because you've, you've, you know, to use your analogy, you've kind of removed some of the pins or you've put in more buffers. So they're going to go right to that strike point. It's, it's such a powerful way. Uh, they don't have to see all of your value up front, right? But how quick can you get them to see some? What is that time to value metric that you can really dial in um, and improve? Yeah. And like, I think to your point around just like these enterprise companies, a lot of them are wondering or probably wondering like, you know, how do I start on this? Like, what is that first thing I could do? How do I break this down for my complex product? And I always challenge people to think about like every product has something you just have to do before you can get to value. I know the B2B SaaS world very, very well. And like a lot of um, the products I see day in, day out, you have to do something like if you're a dashboard company, like you have to integrate something to show data. <laughs> and so it's like, there's always these must-have steps. So you think of like Google Analytics, Hotjar, like any uh, analytics tool, all of them are pretty much useless until you actually upload the JavaScript onto your website so they can understand what's going on there. And so it's really just about how do we prioritize that and get people to that uh, first win before they can start seeing that beautiful data, those beautiful analytics uh, and getting some meaningful value from it. So there's always like a stepping stone process or if you want to call it dominoes, like what's that first domino that's going to keep the rest of the dominoes falling down? Yeah. And also I would think for some companies and maybe some of the older, more traditional uh, uh, B2B companies, it, it may be difficult to get the organization to see the advantage of sort of splitting this up uh, and to, to, to give away something that they may be used to charge for. How have you seen organizations go through that transformation, right? It's one thing if you're built from the ground up that way, but if you're trying to sort of steer a ship that's already in motion, how would you recommend our listeners go about that? What are the things they should consider? Yeah, so great question. It really depends what kind of ship you are. So if you're a cruise ship, it's going to be real hard to turn that thing around. If you're like a jet ski, like a startup, you're, you started off sales led and you're going to go down this path, it's going to be a bit easier to turn uh, around and like go down this path. But if you are like midsize, you still got some hope, but there's ways around it. So like for each of those different boat sizes. I'm really referring to your company size um, because there's a lot more baggage that's going to be on a cruise ship than there is going to be on a jet ski. And so you have to understand like not all businesses were created equal when it comes to solving this particular problem. And I've seen if you're at the bigger end of the spectrum in the cruise ships or mid-sized ships, uh, what you have to think about is, okay, we can't necessarily rock the boat too much. It's actually very hard to rock the boat. In fact, when you start rocking a big cruise ship, a lot of people on that cruise ship are going to start saying, stop rocking the boat. This is annoying. I'm getting seasick. I don't like this. And they have every reason to tell you, you know what, uh, stop. And that's going to basically stop this from happening and taking over your business, the product-led movement within it um, right away. And so what I've seen in a lot of larger organizations is they try and spin off some smaller tiger team or even go as crazy as 
creating their own competitor. I know FreshBooks in Toronto, Canada, they did this. They had like an old legacy product. They knew they needed to update it, uh, but they realized, you know, it's probably a lot easier and we can move a ton quicker if we just created a separate team. And this team is going to create our biggest competitor. They even went as far as uh, creating a, a whole nother brand around this company. I'm not saying you have to go that far, um, but then eventually they announced it like, hey, this other brand that was doing really well was us. And this is our new product. <laughs> and so like, that's one way I've also seen uh, other mid-sized companies um, introduce like a free trial or freemium model. And they just use a simple A-B testing product where they said, you know what? 1% of our users they're gonna see this. And so they started building that muscle slowly and they might've got even just a few people requesting a free trial and they didn't even have a full seamless self-serve free trial experience yet. It was just a simple landing page. But then after that, they walked those people through just how to get used to using that product. And whenever <laughs> they would be on these onboarding calls and people would be like, oh, you know what? This is really easy. All I got to do is this, this, this. They start seeing eye rolls from the, the users. They're like, no, this is hard. They figured out, you know what? Okay, we really need to simplify this because we might think our product is easy to use since we're in it day in, day out. Um, but the average person has a lot of bumps along the way. And so, um, yeah, to your question, like there's a lot of ways you can approach this. Those are definitely a few different ways. I know even with like HubSpot and Vidyard where I worked at before, there was like a really good incentive for us to um, not disrupt the core product because the core product of the business was working really, really well. The sales team was great at selling the core product. So it made a ton of sense for us to just introduce a complementary product. So in HubSpot's case, this was introducing their Sidekick CRM Gmail plugin uh, where they could test out, you know, how do we figure out how to turn these free users into paying users? And how do we grow through this channel of free, freemium users? And so um, that's what HubSpot did. That's also what we ended up doing at Vidyard when I launched this product called Viewedit. Uh, it went from like zero to 100,000 users very quickly. And we got to see and experience all the challenges along the way of, okay, how do we actually turn these people into happy paying customers? How do we get them into the main ecosystem of our core product and really accelerate the time to value? And so, if you have an enterprise product that is, let's say, very uh, cumbersome or takes a long while for someone to get up to speed and get up to value, I'll give you an example at Vidyard where I was working, it was a video hosting platform. So it's kind of interesting if you signed up for a free trial for a video hosting platform to see the value of Vidyard, which they provide like a ton of analytics around videos, um, not here to pitch that or anything, but that's just what they do. And so you would almost have to like sign up for that free trial, bring your own video, put that video on your website, send a bunch of traffic to it and then see how that video would perform. So it's actually like asking someone quite a bit to see the value of that product. So our complimentary product was just a simple Chrome extension where like by clicking one button, you just record yourself, you talk, you send it to a friend, you send it to a colleague uh, and you can create a ton of videos very easily. So we just reduced the barrier to entry. And then all those videos just went into the core product where they could see further analytics around that and they could be really upsold on the main core product. So 
as I was mentioned, there's a ton of ways you can slice and dice this, but it's really just important to understand what is the size of your ship? How quickly can you move this? If you're much smaller, hey, maybe it is. Um, just leading with a free trial. If you don't have like much traffic at all, you just want to test this very quickly. Um, and then you just need to iterate. So start small and then take bigger swings as you go through this. That's great advice. I, I think another place that some people kind of get uh, maybe a little uncertain about is, is where do you figure out in that process when the conversion is, right? And how do you set up users so that when you go from free to paid, they're not mad at you? What are the right steps to kind of set up that, that expectation up front? Yeah. And so whenever we think about like when is the best time for these people to turn into uh, paying customers, I always emphasize like the goal here of this free trial or freemium model is to serve, not sell. But then the awkward question comes, well, when is the best time to sell? Because obviously as a business for-profit enterprise, we do want to generate revenue at the end of the day. But it, we don't want it to be something like, I'll give you a hypothetical scenario. So let's say I sign up for Netflix. Uh, well, actually, there, <laughs> I won't use that example because they just introduced, like, you got to pay up front. Uh, but I'll give you an example with Spotify, for instance, or some other service. You sign up for it. Basically, uh, you can't even use it. You got to pay for it immediately without. Uh, using the value of the product. So if it's like a $10 a month solution, like, okay, a lot of people are going to be okay with that initially, but for a lot of SaaS products that you never tested it and you never know if this can deliver on its value, uh, that's a big ask. You don't really know. There's a lot of risk. And the goal of this free version of your product is really to build trust faster than you could with talking to them. And so by showcasing the value of a product versus just simply telling them about it as the more traditional sales-led way of growing a SaaS business, um, you can really accelerate that time to value. So the best time I found to really focus on helping these users make that decision uh, to the best of knowledge is usually right after they've experienced the value of the product. Because at that point in time, that's when they're saying to themselves, wow, like this is the new world. This is, uh, if you're helping them out, make a presentation, they start thinking to themselves, wow, I feel like a designer. Like this stuff is amazing. My boss is just going to be blown away. Like I really am awesome. I'm a professional. So they're thinking to themselves, like all these amazing possibilities with your products. And that's when you say, really have to not be forceful, but remind them like, hey, if this is something you would like to continue doing, then this is probably the next best step for you is just simply upgrade here. And you want to make that as easy as possible. So whenever I get asked that question, it's always after they experience the value. And where I see a lot of people make mistakes is they just jump the gun and make it too early or like before you can even use all the features or anything. Um, it's just like upgrade, upgrade, upgrade. <laughs> and um, that's a challenge too. I mean, it could be a whole nother can of worms and topic we dive into as well, but like just deciding like, what do you give away for free versus um, what do you put behind the paywall? Because some things really do cost, uh, whether it's a software business or a subscription business, they cost them actually a lot of money um, to offer that for free. So there is certain limitations on what you can offer for free, but general rule of thumb, do the paywall after they experience the value of the product. So you talked a little bit there uh, about a common problem or a common pitfall that people fall into, right? Trying to, to convert too early. What are some other 
sort of common problems that you see companies uh, do that perhaps we can help our listeners avoid? Yeah, so like there's three main things that you really do need to master whenever it comes to building a product by business. The first one's really just like understanding your value. Uh, that can be done, obviously, through Zeno <laughs> Customer Research. I'm sure a lot of the people here listening in your audience know this very, very well. Uh, but then there's the next part, which is just communicating your value. And why that's so important is because in a product-led business, there's one thing that's really getting in the way of a lot of people deciding here and there that I'm just going to upgrade for your product without talking to anyone. And this is the, the difference between perceived value and experience value. And so whenever someone's like on your landing page or your website, all they're thinking is the perceived value. The perceived value of the product is X. In my mind, oh, this looks amazing. I'm excited. And then there's there in the product. And then it's all about, okay, the experience value. Maybe it's a little lackluster. Maybe on the landing page, they said, you know, you can get set up and get value out of this product in less than a minute. And then you're there like looking at your clock and like, oh, it's 10 minutes. I got to grab coffee. I'm kind of bored. Uh, screw it. I'm not going to come back to this product. You just decide then and there, this is the end. And the root of that issue and why it's such a common problem is because a lot of people obsess about like the product and okay, we got to have all these features. We got to have tons and tons of value. But where I feel a lot of people miss is time to value. How quickly can you get someone from that first experience? They're on your website. Maybe it's the first time they interact with your brands all the way until, wow, I understand the value of this product. Now, if you can really shorten that time, you have a winning product-led business on your hands. People will happily pay you for it because they understand uniquely what you can help them do. And so that's one of the biggest issues of, you know, if you want to build a successful product or business, you have to really prioritize and conquer that time to value. And there is not anything, uh, there's very few things a product manager can do uh, in, to get more appreciated in an organization than to, to help time to value because it is such a strong connection to lifetime value, to customer satisfaction, to NPS. So it's a, it's a very, very powerful metric to move. All right, Wes, we talked about a ton of different things today. Uh, if you could get our listeners to do two things differently tomorrow based on what we talked about today, what would it be? Two things. All right. Uh, so I think the first thing is if you're going to build this product or business, you need to bring the rest of the team along. And so there's just this big uh, mindset shift that an entire organization needs to have. And that to me, I think has been the hardest part of helping other companies um, move down this path because it's nice to be this lone wolf in a big organization who's like thinking about, hey, like being product-led could really change this business. But um, if you're really truly gonna make this successful, you need more and more people to get bought into this. And so um, that's actually one of the reasons I just created this like completely free ungated um, product-led growth fundamentals certification, where if you go to productledcertificate.com, it's basically just that, like you go through in less than an hour how you can build this product of business. And it tries to like get everyone thinking, okay, what does the marketing team think different? What does the sales team think different in this approach? So mindset shift is probably the biggest piece of this. 
And I would just go back to that and really try and think, okay, and now that we're, if you are in a sales of business, what changes when you are product led? How does your role evolve throughout this? And that's the, the biggest piece that's going to really help you make that transition. The second piece is really trying to just get a small win. So out of this entire discussion today, what I challenge you to do is think of what is one thing you could take away? What is one thing that you can immediately apply to start moving in this direction? It could be simple. I gave you the certificate. That's one way, but there's a lot of others. Maybe it's uh, sharing this podcast with someone else on your team to just get them thinking about this new way of approaching growth in your business. Because I truly believe that right now we're headed into uh, a market where being product-led is going to be a competitive long-term advantage for your business. Um, and if you're not adapting, your competitors might just be adapting and are able to operate in different markets where they can be profitable, but your business just can't operate anymore. Great advice, Wes. All right, Wes, thank you for joining us today. It has been a genuine pleasure and I hope you'll join us again. Thank you so much for having me, Rebecca. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. <laughs>